Hey, what's up, guys? Happy Monday to you. Hope you had a wonderful weekend and uh, you enjoyed the fights and you're uh, ready to kick off another great week. Welcome to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero. This is episode 361 of TNC. As always, before I get started, guys, let me remind you to uh, smash that like button. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give me likes, ratings, reviews, all that good stuff and pay the fee. It is non-monetary. All I do is ask that you spread the word about the show. Just post it on your social. Send the link to one of your peoples. It could be a family member, a friend, a coworker, whatever. Just spread the word about the show to at least one person. You do that every week. I, that is all I ask from you guys. So, all right. Um, I had one of those nights last night where my daughter was up a lot and, uh, I didn't sleep much, so my energy might be low today. Uh, I apologize ahead of time if that is the case. I will try to keep the energy peppy, but um, I don't know, guys. I'm, I'm definitely feeling tired right now, but um, we shall plow through. So we have much to discuss. Let's jump right into um, – I talked a little bit about this last week. I'm going to hit on it again a little bit here. Uh, I want to give you guys some additional perspective. And, of course, we're going to be talking more about it in the coming months um, into next year probably. And that is uh, you guys have seen more and more talk of uh, Showtime bowing out of boxing. So uh, a couple things here. Um, there are some people that are almost – seemingly celebrating that fact and I, I don't i don't particularly think that's a good thing um but i think what i'm seeing more of is um people feeling vindicated for throwing out warnings and saying hey this this thing can't keep running the way it's running there's something wrong here something stinks it's not gonna work something needs to be ironed out fixed and those people were attacked. So I'll talk about that in just a minute uh, because they feel vindicated now. And I'm one of those people. But it has nothing to do with Showtime being out of boxing. That has more to do with the people running uh, Showtime boxing. Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to give you guys, especially you younger guys, a little perspective here. But I think if you're 40 and over, you're going to feel what I'm saying here. Um, let me age myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm 44 years old. That means I was a child of the 80s a teenager of the 90s, a young adult of the 2000s, okay? So I want you guys to put the, those time frames in your mind here as it relates to being a boxing fan in America. So obviously when you're a kid, you're not paying for cable, you know? You're, you're not paying the bills. Your, your parents are. In the case of my dad, he would steal cable. Uh, I, I think I've told that story before um, where, you know, there was like a green box in our neighborhood that kind of controlled the cable for the whole neighborhood. And my dad knew how to rig it. He knew how to like pop it open and rig it and turn cable on for everyone. And he would do that. But then sometimes he'd see the cable man driving down the street and say, Oh shit. And he'd run back there and pop it up and turn everything off. Wait for the cable man to leave. <laughs> he would turn it back on. So as a kid, even though we were broke and my family didn't have a lot of money, uh, I still saw fights on HBO. I saw Mike Tyson fights on HBO as a kid. I was very, very lucky in that regard. But anyway, um, it's more so when I became a young adult. Okay, so I was in the Marine Corps like in the late 90s, early 2000s is when I'm like, you know, early 20s. 
and I'm living on my own for the first time, you know, have an apartment, you know, just a young, broke, 20-something-year-old trying to make it in the world, right? In that time, we're talking early 2000s, okay, um, you could get, they started doing the bundle thing, right, for cable, and you could get you know, your basic cable package plus HBO is a few dollars more plus Showtime was a few dollars more, but there'd always be some kind of deal. And um, sometimes because I was a veteran, I get a deal because of, of that, my veteran status and stuff. But, but I'm telling you guys, I don't remember the exact price, but I swear back then you could get basic cable plus HBO and Showtime for like 60 bucks. I swear it was like $60 or something. And you know, when, when you're that age and you don't have a lot of money, you have to be um, choosy about where you spend your money, right? As a young boxing fan, I wanted my boxing. And so it was worth it for me to maybe forego a couple of dinners, seriously, uh, to, so that I could have my boxing. And maybe that meant I had to eat a you know ramen noodles for dinner or a can of tuna, which I did plenty of times. So I could have my boxing. I know that sounds crazy, but that's how crazed of a boxing fan I was. And I felt like I was getting value for my money. And you guys, again, you younger guys, you have to remember, this is before there was Twitter and Instagram and smartphones and, and all this kind of stuff. This is before a, the internet existed, but nowhere near where it is right now, where things were shared on social media and stuff, right? Um, to... to some of you older guys will remember this. Do you remember going in the back of fight magazines? Um, and, and there would be like sections back there. It would be like collectibles. People would be selling gloves, cards, you know, like signed cards and stuff. But there'd also be DVDs of fights. Do you guys remember that? You younger guys won't even know about this. But you guys, I'm telling you, if you're 40 and over, uh, some of you guys even 30 and over will remember this. Where you'd go in the back of these magazines and there would be DVDs of fights. Because if you were in America, you didn't get the UK fights. You didn't see the German fights, the Japanese fights, and vice versa. It was very, very difficult because there wasn't all this streaming stuff to catch all these fights. And so you would have to order DVDs from dudes. There were guys out there that would like download these fights or film them. And then, you know, and I'm, I don't know how legal any of this shit was. Okay. I think it probably was pretty illegal, but there were dudes selling DVDs of fights. And again, I'm a crazed boxing fan. I remember buying, there was a dude who had all of Lennox Lewis's fights from his first pro fight all the way up until that point, which I think it, it included his last fight with Vitaly. And he had all of them, okay? And I hadn't seen most of Lennox Lewis's fights because when he was a prospect fighting, he fought you know different parts of the world, but he was mostly over in the UK. We didn't get to see a lot of that shit over here. So I ordered a DVD and I got to see all of Lennox's fights. Again, this is before YouTube, guys. You, you couldn't just, oh, let me find this shit on YouTube. Boop, boop, boop. No, <laughs> you couldn't do that. So I ordered DVDs. Uh, I ordered uh, one guy had all the Klitschko brother fights. I ordered that. And literally, again, you younger guys are thinking, oh, you just Venmo this dude and he'll send me the DVD. No, you had to write a check. You had to actually physically, I don't know if you young guys know how to do that still write out a check or a money order and send it to the UK or send it to Germany, wait a week or two later for them to get it, cash it, and then send the DVD. So it was this process, right? So anyway, 
as a young guy that loved boxing, it was willing to do all that. I'm buying the magazines. I'm buying DVDs of fights. You know, I just anywhere I can find fights, I want them. And the internet boxing media was just starting to come into its own at that time. I think maxboxing.com um, was just kind of starting to blow up. And that's where, at the time, Steve Kim and Doug Fisher worked. And they were really starting to come into their own and just kind of start starting to get onto the beat and pushing the boxing internet media, which at that time was seen as a joke by all the promoters. Those guys, if, if you were... Uh, a max boxing writer and you got credentialed to a fight you were sitting way up in the bleachers they wanted the newspaper guys down by the ring right now 99% of the guys sitting ringside covering fights are writing for a website right my the times have changed a lot of ringside credentials now are, are for just youtubers just guys who don't even write for a site but they have a podcast or something so anyway I want to give you guys this whole layout, just to, just to paint a picture for you of, of what it was like being, again, a young guy, young 20s, not making a lot of money, just finding his way in the world, but love boxing. I knew. Now, were there fights on ESPN? Yes. You got you got your ESPN fights. And then at different times growing up as a kid, you had fights on like uh, USA and you know different networks. But the two biggest shows in town was HBO and Showtime. And as a fan, you knew that those that that's where the best fights were going to be. It was the best fighters in the world, right? Or on those two networks. So it was worth it for me to spend the money to get those networks. And I felt like I was getting my money's worth because also at that time, <clears throat> those networks had great shows. It was before all the politics had kind of taken over at the networks and they were trying to push certain social agendas and stuff. And they were just trying to entertain and put on really good shows and shows like obviously the Sopranos Oz over on uh, showtime or no, no Oz was HBO um, shows like that were really, truly groundbreaking at that time, you know? So you were getting all that. And then the sports programming, non-boxing, like they had, um, Real sports, that actually used to be a good show. Now it's unwatchable, completely unwatchable. Inside the NFL used to be an awesome show. I never missed it. Now it's completely unwatchable. But like, I honestly felt I was getting my money's worth. And I felt, I felt um, no, no issues. I had no issues paying that 60, 70 bucks, whatever it was to get my showtime in HBO because I knew Friday night, Saturday night, I'm going to get some awesome fights. Right. I knew that at least a couple times a month between the two of them, I'm going to get some awesome fights on the weekend. Okay. Here we are at 2023. And a few years ago, HBO boxing has left. And now we're at a point of precipice where uh, Showtime boxing is bowing out. And um, I, I do think Showtime, which they actually have a fight card this weekend, and this might be the last fight card on regular Showtime. We'll see. We'll see. Talk more about that later. But um, Showtime pay-per-view will stick around until, mark my words on this, they'll continue to broadcast pay-per-view fights on Showtime because that's not costing the network any money. All right? It's, everything's built in for them. It's it's not something that's going to really cost them money. Um, the promoters who loses out on those pay-per-views that don't do well. It's not the network. But um, until Uncle Al and PBC announced their new deal with whatever new streaming platform they're moving to. The rumor lately is that they're going to Amazon. They're going to go over to Amazon and bring their fight uh, 
their platform over to that streaming service. Um, and I think if you have Amazon Prime, you'll get to watch PBC. Okay, that's the rumor. No, nothing's been announced. But as soon as that deal is announced and it begins, then Showtime will be all the way out. But until then, when things are the water, that's why they're keeping the waters murky and you're not seeing any reports. You know, all the guys at boxing scene, like Jake Donovan's, they know exactly what's going to happen. They know exactly what's going to happen because uh, they're 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 in with the, that crowd, right? They're being told not to say a damn thing. So so where they're at right now is they're going to pull back when the deal is announced next year, perhaps next year at some point, maybe late this year, uh, early next year, then Showtime will 100% bow out of boxing in terms of those pay-per-view cards. But until then, there's going to be a little dabbling here or there, okay? But it's on the way out. So is that something that I'm happy about? Is it something that I'm excited about? Of course not. Um, but it's also something that I'm not really sad about because I accepted years ago that Showtime was done. And, and before HBO bowed out, you could see the writing on the wall that they were done. HBO's decision, I think, had less to do with money and more to do with just where the, uh, the network people wanted to take HBO. At Showtime, it's a little bit of both. It's actually a little bit of both because of the parent company and some of the financial issues and stuff like that. So um, it is a little bit of both with Showtime. It is about money, but it's also where people want to take that network. Anyway, um, again, I, I wanted to paint the picture of when I was young and got Showtime and stuff. And I'd have friends come and HBO and I'd have friends come over. My brother would come over pretty much every Saturday night. We'd be hanging out and stuff. Uh, when we had girlfriends, we'd be double dating with girlfriends. When we were single, we'd be going to the bar looking for girlfriends, right? But when fights were on, man, we were home watching fights. We, we had we had the boys over. It was gr just a great time. It was so much fun. And you, I always felt like I was getting my money's worth at that time, in that era. Always did. Now, I was a young, ignorant fan in some ways because I didn't have that historical perspective. But I had watched boxing when I was a kid. I knew what was a quality fight and what was a shit show. There were pay-per-views back then, and there were shitty pay-per-views back then. I didn't buy the shitty pay-per-views. I bought the good ones. I, I could distinguish you know, where my money was best spent, okay? But those were wonderful memories. But if we're being honest, HBO Boxing in its last few years, and, and Showtime Boxing especially in its last few years, have just not been worth the price, uh, the subscription price. They haven't been worth it. And, you know, I, I keep saying Showtime's limping out. They're on their way out. They'll probably be fully out by next year. Um, but they've been out. If we're being honest, I'm talking non-pay-per-view, guys. I'm talking regular Showtime. Showtime boxing has been done for a couple years now. It, it really has. Name me the last really good fight card you saw on Showtime. Not pay-per-view, Showtime. Name me the last consistent two or three good cards in a row on Showtime. You're going you're gonna to have to go way back for that. 20 years ago, you would get that. You get two, three, four, five shows in a row that were great. You really would. Same thing on HBO. And at one point, I thought Showtime was doing a better job in that era of showcasing the little guys and putting out what I call like the diehard fight fan type of matchups not just the, the casual fan type of matchups. HBO got more into that, particularly when Heyman was over at HBO. A lot of you guys don't know, Heyman had a long run on HBO. 
We refer to that as the Andre Berto years. All right. I'm not even going to go into all that crap, but those of you who remember, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, we, we weren't getting that the last few years of HBO and, and we certainly weren't getting it the last few years of Showtime. So, so like, this is almost like seeing a family member who has cancer and you know that they're eventually going to leave you. And it might be six months, it might be six years, but you see the writing on the wall. That's kind of what this was. Now, in the case of Showtime in particular, well, I should say when HBO got out of boxing, there were a lot of guys um, that, who I call the cult, you know, people in the cult who were celebrating. Uh, one of you guys tweeted it. I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Um, I wanted to give you credit for this, but there was a great tweet this weekend that had just a screenshot of like 10 of these videos on YouTube from the cult when HBO got out, basically celebrating saying Al Heyman, again, this is them talking, okay? I'm not saying I disagree or agree with any of this crap. I'm just saying these guys are nuts. But basically saying Al Heyman destroyed HBO boxing, he blew it up uh, because, you know, he's taken over boxing and it's all showtime from here on out, blah, 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 blah. Well, now the opposite you know, now Showtime is is, blow, is blowing up and uh, is bowing out. And boxing will no longer be on premium cable in America, which I would say in a way is a good thing, right? Except it's going to still be fragmented on all these different streaming platforms. It'd be awesome if everybody went over to like ESPN or something, or everybody went over to Zone or Amazon, whatever the hell it is and everybody was on the same platform, that would be wonderful. We're not going to get that. So um, you still have this fragmented thing, but boxing is now uh, going to be the only American television network, cable, non-cable, whatever, that's going to be showcasing HBO in a little while is going to be ESPN. That's it. It's the only one. And increasingly more and more of their content is over on the plus the thing with ESPN is uh, they're bleeding money and they're desperate for content. So uh, boxing is going to stay around and top rank actually has a very good, smart, sustainable deal with Disney and ESPN, uh, their deal, their contract and the way it works is sustainable in this market. And it will be around for years to come if they want to stay over there. Okay. Uh, but the other platforms right now yeah just not a sustainable thing uh DAZN is having an atrocious year here in the united states i know you guys over overseas are pretty happy with the product because it's so cheap but here in the united states it's over 200 dollars a year and they're they're, they're serving up stir-fried dog shit so um and then showtime has been awful this year just absolutely abysmal fox fox bowed out a while ago right so um that's where we are that's where we are like i'm not gonna celebrate that but I will say, and this is what I wanted to get into a little bit, and then we'll move on. Uh, and again, we're going to be talking about this more and more, guys, in the coming months. But I was one of those guys that for the last few years has been complaining about Showtime's product, has been complaining, I'm not going to use the word complaining, criticizing the pay-per-views. Premier Boxing Champions has had literally dozens, I'm saying this plurally with an S, dozens of pay-per-views since the COVID outbreak in 2020, early 2020, all right? And then we had like the shutdown over that summer and then everything came back in the fall. From that fall to this fall, so you're talking about three years, they've had dozens of pay-per-views. Most of them have been on Showtime. Some were on Fox. That is more than double 
with any other platform has had. It is ridiculous. And I was one of the guys, I'm not, I wasn't the only one, but I was one of the guys saying, this is, this is not sustainable. This, this cannot work. And I was also one of the guys calling out the hypocrisy of people like Steven Espinoza, who plays Mr. Woke, Mr. I care about the little guy. I care about the downtrodden, the, you know, on, on Twitter, but he has no problem manipulating and taking advantage of people, charging them $80 to have Gervonta Davis fight a B or C level opponent for a WBA Reggie belt. So you have no problem taking advantage of the downtrodden working class people you claim to protect because that's the majority of boxing fans. You have no problem taking their money, lining your pockets, making yourself richer. All you boxing fans out there, I want you to understand something. All the money that you have spent and we're just going to use the last three years, 2020. Let's just take this decade, 2020 to now, okay? The money that you're spending, yes, some of it does trickle to the fighters. A good, a good amount of it does. But it also lines the pockets of these network executives even more so than the promoters in a lot of cases, particularly pay-per-views, okay? Um, that's who's getting paid. So y'all that were, you know, fighting for Al Heyman, yeah, yeah, Al Heyman, yeah, we're going we're gonna to support him. You guys just made Steven Espinoza slightly richer over the last few years. That's those of you who actually bought the pay-per-views because most of you stream the shit, regardless of what you say on, on Twitter. And so I think there are a lot of people right now who feel vindicated and they're talking a little shit on Twitter. They're talking a little shit on YouTube. They're not necessarily saying, oh my God, this is great that Showtime is going to get out of boxing. Yeah, less boxing on television in America. That's a good thing. No one's saying that. Maybe some people are. I, I would completely disagree uh, with anybody saying something like that. But I do think some people are feeling vindicated because they've been saying, dude, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep putting on pay-per-view and, and 150,000 people are buying this shit. The network isn't going to keep the, the money will run out. It's like you had the Waddell and Reed thing. You guys had half a billion dollars and you spent it all within a two or three years and had nothing to show for it. You had not one, not one bankable superstar in that entire platform. You had half a billion dollars to work with and you blew it all. You spent every dime of that money. And had nothing to show for it. Javante Davis wasn't around in that era, okay? But guys like Deontay Wilder, Errol Spence, we were told that they're, they're these massive superstars. They walk down the street and get mobbed. If these guys don't have a dance partner like Tyson Fury, Terrence Crawford, nobody buys their pay-per-views. At most, 300,000. They're not crossover superstars. They're not. So, so you spent half a billion dollars? And you don't have one superstar, you spent half a billion dollars and your two best products, when they crossed the street and fought somebody from outside the platform, they got their asses tapped. It, it, it's just, in terms of making money, it's one of the best success stories ever, what we've seen on Showtime over the last five, six, seven years. In terms of building a sustainable business and brand and building superstar fighters and developing elite level 
Hall of Fame level talent. It's one of the grossest failures we've seen in boxing in the modern era. Um, I, I by the way, the zone has completely collapsed, and I you guys who listen to the show, you've heard me go in on them. That story is still unraveling and being told. Um, but I, that's one of the greatest collapses we've seen in boxing too. But I'm specifically talking about on network television. This is premium cable, but still like net TV in America. I'm just trying to think of just a collapse of a product in such rapid time with nothing to show for it, except and that, and that's why you hear guys like Espinosa talking about gate revenues. He's a network guy. He doesn't get a dime of the gate revenue. But when they were promoting Canelo Charlo uh, during fight week, he was talking about, you know, they've got three $20 million gate revenues this year. Well, yeah, but those weren't all in-house promotions. They, they, they were crossing the street type of promotion, promotions. And the network doesn't get any of that gate revenue. That, that, that's ticket sales. Why don't you talk about the buy rates? And and the the viewership rates for all your cards this year. Um, so anyway, yes, I, I think some people are seeing Espinoza and his ilk kind of get their comeuppance right now, and they feel vindicated. All right, and, and for those people, like I would say, go ahead and talk your shit. Go ahead and talk your shit because I know you were attacked. I know I was attacked. We've all seen Espinoza over the last few years getting in Twitter spats with members of the media, and with fans, people who literally pay for Showtime Boxing, his consumers, the guys lining his pockets, getting in Twitter spats with them, calling them awful names, then hanging out in Twitter uh, hangouts, message board groups or whatever, uh, where they're saying all kinds of vile, racist, anti-Semitic stuff, and he's hanging out with these people. Okay, that just shows you why, partially why, that platform is no longer going to be uh, working with Showtime. All right, so let's move on from that. We'll be talking more and more about it. Let's talk about some actual fights. Um, I, oh, I got to read a, I got to read a comment from Gail here. Gail says, "I prefer my dog shit baked." My, <laughs> uh, I love you, Gail. Papa Chubby says the zone is not consistent year round. Yeah, and, and look, none of them are. Okay, if we're going to be fair, none of them. They have highs and lows, peaks and valleys. But this year, in terms of streaming, the platform that's brought you the most bang for your buck here in the United States, it's ESPN Plus. It's not even close. <clears throat> yeah, Tim says, uh, Tim Sheehy says, I've had Espinosa pop up in my replies, dude's a troll. Yeah, man, he, he has spent the last few years just beating people up on Twitter. And, and going after and trying to silence people. And they have lackeys that will go after media people. And Espinosa won't say some of the nasty shit those people say, but he'll retweet it, right? And Espinosa actually talked shit about um, my fight um, it, it, because there was, well, it was actually a fight that ended up being canceled because there, were, there was an ad that the promoter put out that had my picture on it. Um, and they had, they they did this with every single fighter. It's, I was not the headliner by any means. I was an undercard fighter. But there was a thing in there that said like VIP tables. I can't. I think their VIP tables were like five hundred bucks. But that was number one. That was for like I, I can't remember how many people. It's not like it was for two people. It was for a group of people. But the proceeds from that were going to help veterans. Anyway, Espinosa retweets that picture because some asshole troll put it out there making fun of it. And he retweets it. It goes on the rant about, oh, Montero, 
you're always dissing the pay-per-views and all this. And here you are charging $500 to people as if I'm the promoter, as if I'm the headliner of the show <laughs> with no context. That is how dedicated that guy was to going after anybody who criticized him in his platform. He literally would retweet stuff like that and not even do three seconds of research and just go on a diatribe about something that was completely false. It was based on a false notion and make himself look like a fucking idiot. And he did this over and over and over again for years. And now he is where he is. Okay. <clears throat> Let's talk about last Saturday, shall we? Let's start over in Sheffield, England. It was October 7th in the main event. Lee Wood comes from behind, scores a knockout of the year contender. Um, yeah, maybe I, I, Zhang's got a better knockout over Joyce, but maybe this is round of the year um, contender because of the back and forth. But uh, TKO7 win over Josh Warrington. This was the first defense of Wood's WBA uh, featherweight belt. Warrington was up on all three cards, won five of the first six rounds. I think two of the judges have him had him up 5-1. One had him up 4-2. But he was up. I thought he won five of the first six rounds, and he was on his way to winning the seventh round. But he got caught with a beautiful, short, little hook from Wood that caught Warrington just on the tip of the chin. And Warrington didn't cover up. He didn't um, hold. He didn't take a knee. He tried to stand in there and take it. Wood saw he was hurt, followed up. Right, left, right, left, right, left. And next thing you know, Warrington's on the canvas, fights over. It was a thrilling come-from-behind win for Wood, who has become one of the fighters that I, I would call must-see TV. He's become one of those guys that you want to see him fight live. Increasingly in this boxing world, this landscape we have right now, a lot of you guys are catching replays on your streaming apps. That's the beauty of having an ESPN Plus or a zone or whatever is the next morning, if you're busy Saturday night, the next morning, Sunday morning, you can pop it up and watch the fight. But Lee Wood is one of those guys, you got to see him live. You don't want to wait till the next day because you don't know what's going to happen with this dude. He can turn it around in an instant. This is a, a, just a great win and a fight that he was losing uh, pretty handedly. Uh, CompuBox had Warrington landing 104 of 300 punches, 35% accuracy. And they had Wood landing 53 of 224, 24% accuracy. So that lets you kind of know where the fight was when this happened. If there is a pound-for-pound pound list of exciting fighters, I'm not necessarily talking about elite fighters. I'm talking about exciting fighters, where you really get the bang for your buck entertainment-wise. Lee Wood's on that list. He's on that list right now. He's toward the top of that list, honestly. Also on this card, Terry Harper and Cecilia Breku's fight to a majority draw. This would have been, um, this was for two belts. Harper had the WBA junior middleweight and the WBO was vacant. I guess that stays vacant. Breku's was slightly more active. Harper slightly more accurate. In the end, the punch numbers were kind of even. Um, I was fine with the draw on this. I don't know. I've seen some people thought that Breckus edged it. Some people thought Harper should have won. Um, but all in all, I didn't see one woman really separate herself from the other. Clearly, distinctively, I'm cool with the draw. And then in Las Vegas, 
Gilberto Zardo Ramirez scores a unanimous decision win over Joe Smith Jr. This was the cruiserweight debut for both of them. And Gilberto looked like massive. He looked so much bigger than Joe Smith. Joe Smith was a big, light heavyweight. And he'll fill it, fill in the cruiserweight pretty well. But somehow Ramirez looked huge. <laughs> and this guy, Ramirez used to make 168. I don't know how the hell he did that. And seeing the way he looked in this fight, I don't know how the hell he made 175. He looks like a natural cruiserweight. So whatever the hell this guy was doing to make weight, I don't know if it was healthy and and perhaps hurting his performances. I don't know. But he looked rejuvenated in this fight. He looked better. He outboxed Joe Smith over 10 rounds. Joe looked a little flat. Joe had moments. But Zerto uh, clearly won nine of the 10 rounds, eight, nine of the 10 rounds. And um, this was Zerto's first fight since that loss to Beevil last November. It was Smith, his first fight since the TKO loss to uh, to Better BF last June. So both of these guys were inactive. Um, for Smith, I think it's time to hang up the gloves. And I hate saying that because I'm a fan of Joe Smith Jr. He's one of those guys that uh, we need more of in boxing in that he's a blue-collar, hardworking guy that would also box. And most of the guys who do that do not become top level, you know, world-class level fighters. They kind of stay at the journeyman level, but he's one of those guys living that lifestyle that broke through. So to see a guy, and he's not the only one we've seen plenty of them in recent years, but there's not many of them. You know, when you see a guy that's working a day job, you know, he's working on a construction crew, he's chopping down trees, he's, he's doing carpentry, whatever it is. And then he gets in the ring on Saturday and fights for world titles and shit. That's how can you not be a fan of that? Right. And Joe Smith is one of the strongest, physically strongest fighters pound for pound of this last era. He's just a very physically strong human being. So it was just kind of fun to watch him in there. Uh, And I think really underrated by a lot of people. Um, But Gilberto Ramirez was better in this fight in pretty much every facet. Suddenly, cruiserweight's becoming somewhat interesting again. It's been dead for the last couple of years. Absolutely dead. But uh, with Opataya, he recently had a good performance. And now Zerto just had a good performance. He's a welcome addition to this division. I'd love to see Zerto in there against Opataya. Why wait? Do it! I know they're not going to jump right to that. But I'd be really excited to see the two of them fight. I would be really, really interested in that. And um, Zerto, has there been a Mexican cruiserweight champion? Has there? I, I want to say there has been one, but maybe not. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Um, but he, I, he'd have a real chance at winning a belt because the division's completely blown up right now. I think he really has a chance, man. But that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, just seeing uh, two guys that I'm a fan of, I mean, particularly Joe Smith, fight at cruiserweight. And I thought maybe this fight would get perhaps sloppy, ugly. Um, but Zerto looked really good. Now, I will say this. People are saying, oh, my God, does this mean he could beat Bevel in a rematch? Because he looked so good. He looked rejuvenated. Man, if he fights like this against Bevel, guys, he can't. Dimitri Beevil and Joe Smith Jr. are two different guys that fight very, very different styles. Smith's style is perfect for Zerto. Bivol's, not so much. 
if they fought again, Bivol would beat the brakes off of Zerto again. They don't need to entertain that. Zerto looked like a you know fantastic technical boxer in this fight against a faded, half-retired, one-foot-out-the-door Joe Smith. Bloated. Smith doesn't need to be fighting at Cruiserweight. Okay, so everyone slow down. All that being said, what do I always say? Pump the brakes. But all that being said, I, I do want to see Zerto fight at Cruiserweight again. That was, that was a fun addition to that uh, division, which really, really needs life. Okay, let's uh, let's do the preview real quick. Um, <laughs> Midwest Boxing says, uh, Mike, you looked in better shape than Zerto. Hey, man, he just moved up 25 pounds. All I'm saying is... Um, He's a welcome addition to, to that division because it, that division has been absolutely dead. Now, I'm not saying he's going to go in there and beat Opataya. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, hey, it's breathing some life in a dead division. I want to see him fight again. I want to see what he can do. Okay. Um, Saturday, this Saturday, October 14th, let's start over in Australia. Queensland, Australia on Showtime here in the United States. Tim Zhu defending his WBO junior middleweight title. Uh, I guess we got to call it the email title because he won it. He won it through email. But I, I can't compare this situation to the Devin Haney thing because that was the WBC franchise. This was the WBO doing the right thing. Okay. Uh, Zhu had won an interim belt last March. And I got to give the WBO credit here. They're one of the only sanctioned organizations seemingly that still sticks to the rules sometimes. Jermel Charlo, the former undisputed junior middleweight champion, has not defended that crown in over a year. and just had a fight at super middleweight, which he was completely shut out, 12-0 in. So I think the WBO is right in stripping him. All those groups should have stripped him. There have been fighters who have been stripped for much, much less. But they're all in business with that platform, whatever. Okay. So um, so Zoo got elevated from interim champ to full champion. That is why this is the first defense of his full championship against American Brian Mendoza. Mendoza coming off upset win, his KO7 upset win over Sebastian Fundora in April. So this will be very interesting to see if he can carry that momentum into this fight with zoo i will say this about mendoza just you know levels he was completely thoroughly outboxed by jesus ramos a couple years back so i let you know his level as a boxer but he does have some crack to him he can punch um i do think zoo is a lot more technically sound and defensively sound than fondora doesn't stand as straight up isn't there to be hit the same way so i like zoo big in this fight i think he's going to stop mendoza and entertain the crowd there in queensland and um, get people talking even more about him be, becoming potentially the best junior middleweight in the world. It remains to be seen what Charlo is going to do. But as far as I understand it, I want to say Zoo. well, I guess he was his WBO mandatory. So now I don't know what's going to happen with that whole thing. All right. Uh, coming over here to America in Rosenberg, Texas, which I don't even, where is Rosenberg, Texas? You guys are going to have to, one of you Texas guys in the chat, let us know. I've never heard of Rosenberg, Texas. It's got to be a suburb of one of the towns there, right? Top rank is a show that's going to be on ESPN plus Janibek Alam Kanala, 14 and 0 going up against Vincenzo Gualtieri, 21 0 and 1 out of Germany. Yes, Vincenzo Gualtieri out of Germany. 
You heard that correctly. Um, he's not German, but he is German, right? Uh, this is for Alam Canales, WBO middleweight belt and Gualtieri, Gualtieri's uh, IBF middleweight belt. Alam Canela won the interim belt last May, was bumped up to full champ late last year, and this will be the second defense of his full title. Gualtieri won his vacant belt last July. This will be his first defense. This will be his first fight outside of Germany. This will be his first fight against a high-level, elite-level opponent. Uh, he has a very domestic-level, German domestic-level resume, and he has very little punching power. So this should be one-way traffic from Alam Kanala, who I like to win this fight by stoppage and to unify two of the middleweight belts. This is um, great management by top rank. They're not doing a great job necessarily promoting Janabek Alam Kanala, but they're getting him unified belts. He's going to be a unified belt holder uh, this weekend. And for a guy that's being absolutely ducked by everyone in that division, you want to talk about a dead division. Middleweight is completely shot to shit. It's dead. Just dead. Everyone's left. The stars of the, you know, Canelo, Golovkin left. Um, Andre dumped his belt because he didn't want to face Janabek and left. Not that he was a star, but I'm just saying all the champions. The only guy there who has somewhat of a name is Jermall Charlo. And he can't draw flies to shit in terms of selling a fight. But he has a name. The Charlo brothers have somewhat of a name. But do you think he'd go anywhere near Alam Kanala? Do you think he would? We all know the answer to that question. So um, that division, now at least you're going to have a top dog. After this weekend, you'll know who the top guy is, uh, both on paper and you know just from the eye test. Okay. Let's uh, – uh, okay, Omar says Rosenberg is near Houston, Texas. Okay, cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. I didn't know because I, I know the Dallas suburbs pretty well, and I never heard of it. So I'm thinking, man, it's got to be Houston, San Antonio, one of those, one of those. Okay, let's uh, let's jump to a couple phone calls, shall we? All right, let's go to. I believe this is Hamed. What's up, Hamed? How you doing? Ahmed, you there? Hello. Uh-oh. Hope something isn't up with the phones. Let me try. Uh, let me get this next call and see. Uh, hopefully it's not me. Hopefully it's not me. Let's go to Thad. I believe this is Thad. Thad, can you hear me? Yes, Mike. Okay. What's Are you up, there? Man? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey. Yeah, I'm surprised you're not picking your paisan, uh, Pauly Galtieri from Sopranos against uh, uh, Alan right? McCullough. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say insert joke <laughs> Yeah, here. I can tell. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I like the knockout there. I think it's great matchmaking. He, Although he did beat up Falcao pretty good. And uh, yeah, the other did. fight with Mendoza, he's going into a hornet's nest. Yeah. Yeah, I just it's just, it's just um, the levels are too different between these two. So. Yeah. A nice double parlay, double KO parlay. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I, I'm wondering if any if anyone want anyone on your audience watch the Kim Clavel fight. Now I didn't, but I was interested because I had one of those what the hell parlays with uh, uh, Beck the Bully KO four. It was plus seven hundred odds. I also had Ramirez by unanimous decision at plus three fifty, and all I needed was Kim Clavel to win by decision. And I saw she lost by split decision where one judge had her up like eight to two. 
And I figured, oh, maybe she got robbed here. And now I read in boxing scene that she possibly did. So if that's the case, uh, I put a $50 bet to win 6000 and lost on a unanimous decision that might have been a uh, a robbery. So I'm having a hard time like swallowing that a, one. I feel like there's been a few of those lately for you. That uh, sucks. Oh, God. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I've been on the wrong end. Normally, I'm on the right end where I'm like, all right, well, we're fighting Canada. Clavel's Canadian. This is her territory. Figure she gets a decision. But wow, it's been opposite. The same thing with Sandy Ryan. Yeah. You figure she would have got the decision too. Women's boxing, man, it's not an easy fight. Not an easy sport to judge because there's not a lot of power involved. And you're basically, right. you know, it's a crapshoot on what you're looking for. The judges are all over so, the place in a lot of those female fights. All over the place. A lot. And yeah. then again, in the Joe Smith fight now, you know, I was betting against Joe and I, I know he's coming off I got to say, I tip my hat to Joe Smith because, you know, his brother passed away under very bad circumstances this year and, and, and to come out of retirement, basically, in a fight the way he fought. I had him winning four rounds. I was nervous at the end because I had a lot on Ramirez and I saw Joe at least won four rounds. And when I heard those scores, I'm like, how the hell can you score nine rounds to one in that fight where Joe Smith took four rounds? I mean, he took four rounds if you're any kind of competent judge you have to give him four rounds three at the very least but one come on what are they doing mike i mean we're what kind of fights are they watching are they watching floyd mayweather fights and then applying it to fights now okay when these fighters aren't floyd mayweather i mean what are they looking for it's not clean effective punching okay it's not ring general generalship although ramirez was the ring general in, in six rounds okay but Joe, Joe landed the harder punches, you know, at least four rounds. So Joe's definitely I, I'm just at a loss, you know, anymore. Of the two. He's definitely right. a stronger guy, yeah. Yeah, Ramirez looks soft. I mean, he looks – he's like um, a souped-up version of Chavez Jr., isn't he? Yeah. I mean, with this uh, lackadaisical approach, I don't see him doing anything at Cruiserweight because, Mike, let me tell you, Cruiserweight, maybe besides light heavyweights, kind of like my favorite division now – you have a lot of fighters there that are top-notch and that could bang. You got Opataya. I think he's the best of the lot. Yeah. I think um, you're going to have a rematch with Bradis, who I think is still second. Who He broke his jaw in that first fight. And you got a lot of up-and-comer guys. There, there's a fight, uh, Rosansky, uh, or wait, Rosicki, Ryan Rosicki. He impressed me when he fought um, one of those heavyweights. He was coming up from cruiserweight to fight a heavyweight. He gave him a run for his money. I thought he might even pull it out. Um, a guy who fought Dylan White and got and lost after White tested positive. I forget his name. But this guy impressed me, man. I guess he fights like Jack Dempsey. That's his idol. And uh, the way he punches, it's similar. And he just knocks guys straight out. And he's fighting a guy, Duradola, I believe his name is, from Africa, I think. He's a puncher, too. That's going to be explosive. <laughs> they have um, like 80 fights between them and I think uh, only four they didn't knock their opponent out so it's bombs away and in a division like that Ramirez is going to get absolutely knocked out Yeah, if he comes in the way he comes in it's, he doesn't have a, a prayer he just doesn't have enough power to keep these kind of guys like Opataya off I mean this guy he's a truck you know and uh, I think there's a lot of great fights to have at cruiserweight and that's a division to keep an eye on and and if you're referring to a latino cruiserweight wasn't carlos de leon a latino cruiserweight i don't know if he was mexican but he fought holyfield i think yeah, when holyfield right. unified 
Yeah, he wasn't. He was a good fighter. I don't think he was. But yeah, 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 he wasn't Mexican. Him. That's and there right. There was another okay. guy too. I know there's there's been a few that were Latino um, her- heritage, mm-hmm. but I don't know if they were necessarily Mexican. I don't know. But I'm, I'm with you. I mean, look, yeah. I just want to see these guys at cruiserweight fight each other because I feel like we all know Opatai is the top guy. But we don't have rivalries. Right. We don't have guys fighting each other, and you need that to make a division hot. So if these guys start fighting each other, yeah. I'm interested because I've always loved the cruiserweights. It's it's such an underrated right. division, you know. It is. It's yeah. it's like the yesteryear's heavyweight division. These guys exactly. are the same size as like what they used to be in the '60s, in exactly. the '70s. Exactly. So, you know, I mean, I, there's just a lot there. There's a lot of meat on the bone. It's just like you said. It's just a matter of getting these guys in the ring. You know, you have a lot of talent, a lot of talent at these higher weights. They just they're just not you know, formulating any, any kind of consistency. So, uh, with that being said, Mike, um, you know, before I leave you, I have to get in a, uh, a Stefan Espinoza comment, okay. you know, this guy, they call him the weasel. All right. <laughs> they call him the weasel, you know, Conor McGregor famously, you fucking weasel. <laughs> I think he's more like a mole. I think he's more like a mole because a weasel is actually pretty formidable. You know, they're, they're actually, you know, pretty dangerous. You have a lot of, tough animals in the weasel family i even think like a wolverine and you know honey badgers are a weasel and this guy's just yeah yeah, they're tough i mean these guys are scrappers i mean those things take on like poisonous snakes and bigger prey and but this guy espinoza he's like in real life i think like five three and a buck 30 so i would classify him as a as a mole like um, those little mouse-like things that run around with no eyes and they, they can't see and they just burrow underground when any sign of trouble comes. And uh, I just think, like, I, I my cat actually had one in its mouth one time and I rescued it from the cat. And he just, like, you know, waddled away. I, that's Steven Espinoza. That, a mole. He's a little mole and he'll take any opportunity to double down on someone's racist, stupid, idiotic comment and just, uh, you know validate it you know without actually quoting himself and associating himself with it like you said he'll 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 like forward the tweet or something yes. and he'll speak through those idiots right so he has lackeys do yeah. the, the dirty work for him it's one of the the, the you should invite him over there you should invite him on your show make a formal uh Shit. invitation say hey why don't you come on my show let's have a little uh debate you know instead of being a little a little more you know, why don't you come and, uh, you know, it was crazy. man up. Thad, I've actually, I've talked to him because I've done interviews with him before um, for, you know, different magazines I wrote for and stuff, for, you know, previewing different fights. So we've talked on the phone, you know, but like in the last couple of years, he's turned into such a jerk off. I, I blocked the guy. I just blocked him. I'm And then when mm. he tweeted some shit about my fight, and I'm just like, dude, really? And I just, the way he beats up on people for how they vote and their political worldview, all this stuff that he should not, as an executive of a sports platform. Oh my gosh. You shouldn't be yeah. doing that because you're going to ostracize half of your consumer base. And he, he just, I'm not at all surprised to hear that Showtime is bowing out. Um, I, I, and again, if people were buying the pay-per-views, if people were watching showtime for boxing they'd stick around they're not and that tells you no one's really interested in the product yeah. there's a few sycophants that defend it other than that it's struggling yeah and my beef with him is that he, you know, he's quality control over showtime as an executive you got to hold 
your employees' feet to the fire when they're not performing up to standard. And PBC, instead of, you know, like saying, hey, you got to get better fighters. you got to get better fights here. You know, you're putting on garbage. You're making me look like an idiot. That's not going to happen. You don't make me like in The Godfather. You don't make me look ridiculous. <laughs> I can't be, I can't afford to look, look ridiculous. ridiculous. Well, he looks ridiculous. Yeah. He looks ridiculous, Mike. And he actually, you know, torpedoed boxing on Showtime. You know, his quality control, that's another network gone because of Al Heyman and PBC. And this guy is just lackluster effort. He wanted to be a cheerleader, you know, instead of an authority figure. It's like a father who's like, you know, trying to be their son's friend instead of being a dad. Well, yeah, you know? like instead of hey, get out there and be of, a man. Instead of pushing back, or instead of how about listening to guys like me, to, to fans, to media, criticizing your product, instead of listening and actually like listening to the people who buy your shit and trying to communicate with them and make things better, he, he would battle us and he would double down on you know what, plant Benavidez is is, is an a super fight. No, it's not. <laughs> Now, there are a few 21-year-olds who believe that because they don't know what they're watching. Yeah. But anybody that's watched boxing for more than the last five years or so knows that's not a super fight. And so he was, no. he was trying to be like this. He was shucking a jive and then trying to fool people and trick people into paying. You know, they thought they were buying a Corvette when they're buying a, a fucking Chevette. It, it, that's the truth. And, and the, the jig is it up. Is. The jig is up. Yeah, both Chevy, both Chevys, by the way. You know, yeah. the Chevette and the Corvette. There you go, right? Yeah. <laughs> I got a vet. I show up. I'm gonna pick up my date. Yeah, I have a vet. Yeah, yeah. Shot that, but oh well. Not the right vet. Yeah, yeah. All right, Mike. We'll uh, enjoy the show. Uh, maybe I'll talk to you next week or the week after, and we'll see what's coming up with these cruiserweights. But watch Ryan Rosicki when he fights. Right. Oh my God, this guy's amazing. Will do. Will do. All right. Have a good one. You too, brother. Bye. All right. There he goes. There he goes. Let's get to a super chat here from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much. He says, yo, Big Mike, will you find a completely roided out Eddie Hearn per Kenny Keith Jr.? Yeah, shout out to my boys, Kenny and Vince, on the boxing rant. Um, and I appreciate the kind words. They talked about my fight uh, for a little bit. And um, they mentioned me fighting Eddie Hearn. And I've met Eddie in person. He's a legit 6'4". Or so. he's, he's a big guy. And he is looking pretty roided out. I don't know what the hell Eddie's doing. I know he's not working out as much as, as I have been. Uh, but whatever he's doing, it's working. Because he. I don't know if he could pass a Vada test. There's still a lot of guys fighting for him that are not passing Vada tests. Uh, but, you know, look, man, Eddie would be one of those guys that, they, you know, there has been talk in the past of, like, media members and, and non-fighters in the boxing world fighting each other and who should fight who and i would say you know just in terms of size uh chris mannix is another guy that is my height he's like six four i've seen chris in person i met him and uh i'd fight him i'd fight eddie hearn uh, but if i'm fighting eddie hearn i i expect to get paid handsomely i expect to be on the zone matchroom and get paid handsomely but, dude, that would be fun. And, um, yeah, I, I'd do it in a heartbeat. That'd be awesome. <clears throat> Aaron adds, uh, I'm like, he says, I'm like 6'4", and he's bigger than me. Yeah, Eddie might be 6'5". He, he might be 6'5". I don't know. Um, but I've met him, and 
he uh, he's definitely, you know, because a lot of guys would be like, I'm 6'4", and you find out, you know, they're really 6'2". Uh, but a lot of dudes lie about that kind of stuff, but he doesn't. All right, guys. Uh, how about I saw that you call, <clears throat> your call keeps dropping. So I don't know what's up with your phone, man. But let's see. Uh, Sal says, I would pay double pay-per-view to see you beat up Ellie Sack back. You know, uh, I've met Ellie too. And he's a very tiny, tiny little man. And I would just feel bad about that. I couldn't fight him. And he's kind of got no disrespect, or he's kind of got like beta energy. I don't know if he's ever been in a fight in his life. I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, he's a tiny little man. Uh, Ace says, does the PBC mismatches in so-called pay-per-view fights continue on other networks? Or does the new network get smart enough to demand real 50-50 fights? Fantastic question, Ace. Um, my answer is, I don't know. I would like to say that, let's say if they go to Amazon and they're trying to negotiate a deal, that somebody at Amazon, I don't know if any, any of the network, network people, the executives at Amazon, um, know a damn thing about boxing. But there has to be somebody there that knows a boxing guy and could call them. Say, hey, what can you tell us about Al Heyman and his, his resume in boxing? And if this person's being honest, they'll say, well, he was at HBO and that contract ran out. Then he went to Spike TV, CBS, NBC, Fox. All those contracts ran out. He was briefly over at ESPN. That contract ran out. Then there was Showtime. That contract ran out. So he has a track record of negotiating his way into exorbitant, massive contracts, overpaying his fighters. His fights underperform in terms of ratings. When his fighters step up and face the best from other platforms, they get demolished over 90% of the time. It's not even like they just get beat. They get demolished. And he's probably going to try to do this move again. So if we're going to do a deal with him, and he does have a lot of fighters, and he does put on a good product when they do it right, uh, he, he's very good at uh, marketing to the youth. They're very good at marketing through social media to the youth. Uh, better probably than the other promoters, at least here in America. So it would be good to do a deal with him. Again, if you're Amazon, you need content for your streaming. These streaming services need content. They're desperate for it. So if I'm somebody at Amazon, I'm saying, look, we get to say yes or no on the matches. We get we have to approve the matchmaking. And we're going to work out a financial deal here where you're getting some money up front, but the money on there's going to be money on the back end that's determined based on your ratings and what you're bringing to the table. We're not just going to blindly shell out money for this product. If they look at the Waddell and Reed thing again, half a billion dollars got blown through in a few years. Not one of those networks that Showtime was giving money, or I'm sorry, Showtime PBC was giving money, they were paying to air their fights on these platforms, right? Not one of them is still airing PBC's fights. They have half a billion dollars. So Ace, I would hope somebody there would get it. But again, on the flip side, Al Heyman has a history of negotiating 
massive deals. And he does very good in the boardroom. He had his him and his people are very, very smart. And they get in the boardroom with certain network types. And I think there's a certain there's certain angles they can play, particularly now in our current climate in this country, that helps them in those boardrooms with, with these network people. And it would not surprise me one iota to see Al Heyman get another massive lucrative deal with some platform somewhere. And they announce it. There's this big launch. Boxing scene does a bunch of articles detailing the dollar amounts, and it's hundreds of millions. Wouldn't surprise me one iota. I don't think it should happen, but it wouldn't surprise me if it did. <clears throat> I will say this. PBC is an interesting one uh, because of Al Heyman's involvement in boxing goes back decades, long before PBC was a thing. PBC was this thing that they tried. And the Waddell and Reed money, again, half a billion dollars that got blown through in a couple of years. I was front and center on the beat for all of that. Um, I was at a lot of those early shows when PBC had just launched. And I saw the exorbitant money that they were spending on just drivers for the commentators, drivers for the fighters. They had like, they just, it was way over the top. And I remember thinking, they can't keep spending money like this. Turns out that was right. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, yeah, I, I just, it, it's going to be a fascinating thing to look back upon wherever PBC goes from here. It's going to be a fascinating thing to look back upon a decade or so from now at just that little experiment in what things they did right, what things they did wrong. Definitely a lot more wrong than right. People made money. People, there, there was a hundred or so people that made a hell of a lot of money. Outside of that, is it anything we're going to be talking about years from now? I, I don't know. All right, um, guys, that is an hour in. Uh, we're going to dip out for this uh, episode. We will... I'm not 50 50. I'm doing a show next week. Okay. We might do a show next week. I'm not 100% sure, but we'll definitely be back the week after that. So just want to let you guys know. Have a great week and uh, we'll do it again soon. Pay that fee. I'll see you at the fights.